It's an exciting day. It's one of my favorite days. I think it's a, always a great thing when people decide to, uh, to take not only a step of faith, but to do it publicly and say, hey, this is who I'm choosing to tie my life to and identify myself with publicly. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Just so you guys who are, who are doing it and are thinking about it, we're going to be doing that toward the end of, this, end of the sermon today. And I'll give you plenty of time to uh, get over to this side of the room um, as you need to. Um, I want to say a special welcome. I know we've got a room full of people, and you're here today because somebody you love and uh, some of your family, maybe your friends, are getting baptized today, and it's awesome to have you here. Like Melanie said, please treat us like family. We consider you family. It's our honor to, that you would come and choose to hang out with us today. If you need anything during any time, if you find somebody that has a little tag that says, I'm here to help, we've got ushers and greeters and uh, uh, dream teamers that will be here to, uh, to help you out. We started this series last week called Seven Choices. Seven choices, things we can do that I think are just biblical one steps. One step for us is what we say. Um, it's kind of everything that we do here. Because I truly believe that everybody's got a step to take. Everybody has a step to take closer to God. Because is there anybody in the room, even among our guests, that's perfect today? Yeah, if you're raising your hand, that's your mistake. <laughs> So that means you're not perfect. Nobody is. And we don't claim to be. But we all know that we've got one step to move one step closer from where we are to ultimately be where God wants us to be. And those come through choices. We're hanging our hat on these two scriptures for this series in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. So if you just go to the front of your Bible in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, just flip to the right and you'll come across this. It says, today I've given you a choice between life and death. Blessing and cursing. This is God talking. And it's still true for us today, even though this is the Old Testament. It's still true for us today. God, he goes on to say, Now I call heaven and earth as a witness to the choices that you make. Do you know people in heaven can see the choices you make? It says it right here. It says they witnesses the choices you make. It goes on to say, Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Proverbs says this, that wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. On Easter, we were talking about it a couple, last week or so, that we had 22 people check B on their, on their little survey that we did. That means they started a new relationship with Jesus. We had 22 people also check C. These are huge life choices. C was, I haven't decided yet, but I'm still trying to listen to God. I'm still trying to make this decision and take a step of faith. Because all these things that we're doing are choices. And here's something you, we all need to know. Especially for maybe the younger generation. Because I don't think they really see the magnitude at which this is true. That our choices are bigger than us. The choices you make, even if you are a single man, a single woman, no kids, it's just you and life. Your choices ultimately affect everyone around you. And we need to know that. We need to be able to make a choice to show people that Jesus is in my life. To show people that the Bible says that by their fruit, by what their life looks like, you'll be able to tell that, that they're saved, that, that God is in their life. Because here's what I believe is true. See, I have my life. I have my story. Then I have people around me who know me. 
this next statement should be true for all of us. Sadly, it may not be. But they will want to know God. Why? Because they know me. How many of us in our lives really say, well, you can look at my life and that's going to make somebody want to know the God I serve? If some of us are that picture, or you're pick the picture of your life, you're just the sour grapes. It's that, I remember when, when Mabel, my youngest, was little. Um, if y'all see here, I didn't tell y'all this story. <laughs> we, when we were young, her and them, actually. We, we were younger and easily entertained and not able to entertain ourselves because we were broke. But we would go to a restaurant and we would always order lemons. Not because we liked a lot of lemons, which we did in our water, but we would always take them and give them to the girls. And then they just kept coming back for more, right? Hey, try this. And they'd shake and twerk and jump around. And then they'd put it down. And then five minutes later, hey, try this. Right? And their choice was to do it again. But their face explained, was saying, I shouldn't do this again. See, when people see us, they should say, well, I don't know what's different in you, but I see the same problems in you, but I'm seeing a whole lot of different results. Or I'm seeing you deal with these problems, and I'm, what I'm, but I'm seeing you come out with hope. Because the truth of the matter is that we're chosen. This is not a ministry issue. See, you've been saved. You've been found. You have hope. And here's what this should be the result of it. That found people want to find lost people. There should be something in us that goes, listen, I'm not perfect, but God's made a difference in my life, and I wish you had the same hope that I have. I don't claim to be perfect. I don't claim to have it all together. But see, because they know you, they should want to know him. And really, that's the heart. The heart of God is that they're not lost. That if they are lost, that somebody is looking for them. And you need to know that that's God's heart. It's not like he's happy with the ones he's got. I remember years ago in Walmart, um, and you, if you've been here, you've probably heard me tell this story, but I was in Walmart with my, youngest, or my oldest, Emma, who is my special needs, and um, she knows no strangers. She's never met a stranger. Um, if you've been here, and you hang out. If you don't know her, hang out out front about 10 minutes after service, and you'll meet her. I promise you, I'll bet next week's paycheck on it, she will find you out if she doesn't know your face. Well, we were in Walmart, and like any good husband in Walmart, Melanie went to go get something else, and she said, hey, let Emma stay here with you. So like any good father and husband, I was not watching Emma, and I was on my phone. <laughs> and I look up, and I hear this voice in the distance speaking Spanish. And then I hear a male voice speaking Spanish. And, and I was perplexed because the first voice sounded a lot like Emma. And so I, I realized, oh my God, I just lost my child. So I go running to the end of the aisle. She had gone like two or three aisles over and I get to the end of the aisle and there sits Emma speaking in the best Spanish she knows. She does know some Spanish to a little Spanish man, an older gentleman that was about that tall. And he looked at me and like, and then in Spanish, he, he asked me, does she speak Spanish? And I said, yes, a little. And he went, 
gracias. And then he walked away. I don't know if he was thanking me for finding Emma, but Emma had, or thanking me for rescuing him because Emma had, Emma would quit. When she runs out of words, she makes stuff up. But the funny thing is, if you don't know Spanish, you would not know she's making stuff up. So this poor little guy was just perplexed, like, and he just said, gracias, and walked away. But see, when I lost Emma, there was never a second in my mind going, eh, 50 is not bad, I got another one. Right? Never did it cross my mind, well, I got Mabel's with Melanie, she, I got uh, one out of two ain't bad, I'm batting 500. No, everything within me for those few seconds. And that's not the only time I've lost Emma. There's been a couple times in the airport when she was little. I, I found a man in his 60s behind me holding Emma. And I turned around and looked at him, and by that time he looked up at me because she just crawled up in his lap. And he's looking at me, and I'm looking at him like, one of us is wrong, but I don't know who. <laughs> because I lost her, and you found her, but you're not supposed to be holding her. And he said, I think this is yours. <laughs> yes, please don't tell my wife. <laughs> but never in any of that did I think, oh, uh, I got another one. It's, it's okay. I'm not even going to go into all the stories, but just so you know it's the heart of God, if you look up the, in the book of Luke and Luke 15, the Bible tells us very much that we have a calling, that if you're a Christian, you, ha you have a calling. And in the book of, uh, in the book of Luke, he's going to tell us something. I want to show you this verse first. This is in 1 Peter 2.9. It says, but you are the chosen ones, chosen by God for a high calling. This is not me. This is God talking to the church, chosen to be God's instruments to do his work and to speak out and say something. The rest of the verse goes on to say, to tell others, you should have seen me a year ago. You should have seen my life a year ago. You should have seen my debt, my, my addictions, my broken relationships. You should have seen all the stuff, just a year. And I got another whole list that God's still working on, but I went from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. You see, evangelism for us is not telling people how terrible they are. Evangelism is telling people what happened inside you. There's so many of us that when we say evangelist, you think of some guy on the corner or at a college campus screaming and pointing his finger in your face that, that you're a sinner, you're, you're just a horrible person, you're terrible, you're never going to go to heaven until you get your life completely right. That is not evangelism. Evangelism it says, I was not right, I was wrong, I was lost, but now I'm found. That's it. That's evangelism. My, one of my favorite lines, I had a buddy years and years ago that uh, he got saved, he came into church, and he said, Pastor, I've been inviting people. I've been inviting a lot of people. And I said, well, great. What'd you say to him? And he said to him, he leaned over, he said, well, I told him if God can save an MFer like me, then they can come to church too. <laughs> Except he didn't say MFer. <laughs> and I was like, praise Jesus. <laughs> Glory. I, I didn't know what to say. Like, no, don't say that. But you know what? People showed up. People came wandering in like, well, he's right. Um, and I almost did a t-shirt, God saved an MFer like me. <laughs> I didn't think that would go over too well. The Bible says in us that you'll receive power to be a witness. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, And you will be my witness, telling people about hope. See, God always went looking for people. In Luke chapter 15, 
He went looking for a lost son, a lost coin, and a lost sheep. If you read through it, he left the 99. In other words, you people who know me, the Bible says, I designed this so you guys can serve each other, take care of each other. I'm going to go find the one that's lost. I'm going to go find the son, the sheep, the valuable coin that's lost. And all through the Bible, God says, hey, that's, this should do something. This should give you hope. So I want to give you three things real quick. We're going to go through this, and then we're going to baptize and celebrate. How you can make a choice to share. The first thing you can do is choose to share your hope. Choose to share with people. Listen, I can't understand this, but I was lost and hopeless. I met Jesus and began to take my steps. Is my life perfect? No. But do I have hope? Yes. Do I have an answer? Yes. And there's, the other, there's another thing. The verse we read just a minute ago says you're called to be a witness. You're not called to be the judge. You're not called to be the jury. This is why evangelism is simply this. You tell them what a witness, what does a witness do? They sit on a stand and somebody asks them a question and they answer it according to what they know, right? That's, they don't, the judge, if they start saying, well, so-and-so told me and so-and-so told me, the judge says, no, that's hearsay, you can't do that. You tell me what you know. And you can choose to share your hope. Tell people, I go through the same stuff you do. I step in the same mess you do, and it stinks just as bad. The difference between me and you is I have hope that when I screw up, that life's going to come. That when I, when I mess up, I can go, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And the Bible says he's good and faithful to do that. Look what the Bible says, Bible says in 1 Peter. He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. In other words, in your hearts, there ought to be some change. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks and to give them a reason. You need to know in this, in this story, Jesus would get a question, but he wouldn't answer their question with the answer. He would answer their question with what he knew. And he knew that I'm the reason for your hope. In evangelism, you don't have to have all the answers. We've, we've made it too complicated. We've made it too difficult. Because people think, well, what if they ask me about the Holy Trinity? And what if they ask me about the second coming of Christ? Here's your answer. Everybody with me? Okay, everybody eyes? Say this after me. I don't know. See, it's easy. There's nothing more freeing than go, I don't know. I just know he loves me. I'm healthy. I'm whole. My life's turned around. And I get to go spend eternity with him. Can I explain everything? No. Anybody ever been on an airplane and told the pilot, well, I'm only getting on here because I can explain you, to you the physics of lift and how this plane gets in the air? No. We get in. We sit down. We ask for our Sprite and our peanuts that they give us. And we sit there in confidence and faith knows what he's doing, right? And we take off. So we don't make it too complicated. You can say, I don't know. But you can choose to share your hope, and here's how you do it. You just tell people, listen, I needed Jesus. I was hurting. I was lost. I was confused. I needed somebody to save me, and no human was going to do it. Then you tell them, so I committed my life. I don't have it all figured out, but I just said, God, I believe you sent your son for me, 
and I'm going to follow your son, and you, I ask you for forgiveness for my sins, and let's go. And then you tell him that he made a difference, and share how they made a difference. It's not complicated. So you can share your hope. The second thing, you can choose to share your church. And I am, I'm as honest and dead serious as I can be. Share your church. Get them here. You know, I never wanted to have, and I never, we never will be as as long as I have anything to say about it, a church that's just for save, save, holy, righteous, perfect people. Because it's a farce anyway. There's nothing that made me more excited when Easter, we had 22 that got saved, and I had 22 more that said, I'm in this, I'm here, I haven't made a decision yet, but I'm willing to come back. That I want a church for unchurched people. Because that's what we're supposed to be about. Well, what if it gets too crowded, Clint? What if y'all get all those, I had to wait 10 minutes to get out of the parking lot. I didn't mind making that up. Somebody told me that. What happens when it gets too big? So I'm just going to put this on the screen so you all know where I stand. Church will never be too big as long as heaven and hell are reality for people out there. We'll figure it out. That's why we do small groups of what we call grow groups, to get you in a group where you can be loved and cared for and pastored the way I think you should be cared for. But as long as I have anything to say about it, I mean, look around. We, we already have been talking about it. Do we have to go to two services? What do we have to do to make space for people? Because I believe the bigger we get, the smaller we can get and take care of people. But there's names, there's names out there, and they're not just numbers. Those numbers have names, and those names have stories. And all of those stories matter to God. So as long as I have anything to say about it, we'll make room. We'll figure it out to have people come. Tell people. What's in, what your life is about. Tell them about life in the church. Let me challenge you on this. What if? What if? There's 52 weeks in a year, right? Anybody disputing that? Okay. Then what if just two weeks a year? You were so intentional that two weeks a year you had somebody new sitting beside you that wasn't in church and doesn't know God. Now, I'm not saying you go to your friends that go to First Baptist, First Methodist, First Christian, or or any other church in town, and say, hey, come, come be my one and two. I'm saying you bring somebody who you know needs Jesus like you needed Jesus when you met him. Just two weeks a year. Just two. See, the church will never be too big because heaven and hell are realities. The Bible says this in Luke 14. It says, uh, Jesus is telling the story. So the master said, hey, go out into the country and the hedges and shake the bushes and the trees so that people will come, that anyone who wants to come, that the house, that it'll be full because God's always looking for the one. So how do we do this? Some of you may have heard me talk about the Lifesaver. We're going to do it in a few weeks. You'll get one. The Lifesaver is simply this. You come in the door. We give you a single-wrapped candy Lifesaver. It's not because we think you got funky breath, although it may apply. We're asking you to take that lifesaver and tie it to a person that you know needs Jesus the way you needed Jesus. Put it on your, in your bathroom, on the mirror, somewhere where you'll see it every day. And every day, you point it and say, hey, I'll just use the name, I'll use Bob. Hey, Bob's going to be in church because Jesus, you're chasing after him. And you just keep doing it till he shows up. I've got one sitting on my counter and I've moved this nasty, dusty, old, crusty lifesaver has been sitting on my, um, on my bathroom 
for about eight years. I had two. I won't tell you who, but one of mine's here today and has been here for, for almost two years. And I just, it wasn't me. It's not because I'm special, but I just knew. I said, God, I, that is the person I, I know you've put in my life. And they became my lifesaver. Well, how do you do it? How do you share your church? Here's how. You pray for them. You pray, God, keep knocking on their hearts. God, keep showing them who you are. You add value to them. That is simply serve them. If they got questions, do your best to answer. And if you don't know, find, some, find somebody who does. You serve them. You, you fix them meals. You, you just pour your life into them because that's what the church is supposed to be doing. And then third and most important, if you don't invite them, they're probably not going to come. You need to invite them. What's the worst they're going to say? No. Okay, great. I'm going to be back next week. I'm going to invite you again. If they matter that much, you'll put in the effort. And then the third one. And before I show it, I used to say this, and I was listening to a pastor teach, and he said this, and it really struck me. He said, we used to tell people in church, you do your part and I'll do mine. You get people here, bring them here, and I'll do what you can't do and you do what I can't do. I'll, I'll preach it and they'll get saved. Except he found a statistic and this really stuck with me. You know, and I'm non-Christians, non-Christians, 60% of non-Christians say they will never come into the doors of a church. What does that mean? What it means is you sharing your story is even more critical because they may never log on, they may never walk through those doors, but they'll listen to you. So that you share your hope, you're sharing your church. And then thirdly, you need to choose to share your Jesus. Oh God, Clint, that gets into the theology and I can't explain. I love Jesus and I know he died for my sins, but I can't explain why he had to die on a cross and I can't explain the thorns in his head. I can't explain how you can be full God and full man. I can't explain all that. Well, good, because I'm going to give you an easy way to do it. We've made this way too difficult. Here's how we do it. First, you tell them, hey, there's a problem. And that problem is nobody's perfect. And even the person that thinks they're perfect is not perfect because they're arrogant because they think they're perfect. Nobody's perfect. We've all got sin problem. We all got it. The Bible's very clear. Look what Romans 3 says. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Everybody. He also says this in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. There's our problem. Sin's the problem. Somebody's got to pay for it. And the only way it's paid for, the perfect has to pay for the imperfect. Jesus, the perfect, paid for us, the imperfect. You're not perfect. You can serve people, but you can't pay the price for people. It's a decision God made for all of us. And death is a result of it. Somebody had to die. And it's going to be you or you can accept what Jesus. The sin bill has to be paid. And that's what sends people to hell. Hell is not a place that... Let me take that back. Hell is not a place that God sends people. 
Most of us have probably heard that. God's going to send you straight to hell because you're a sinner, sinner, sinner. You're going straight to hell. We point fingers. No. The people that end up in hell, God forbid anyone here does. We won't if I have anything to say about it. But if you do, hell is a place where people go to pay their own bill. Because God said, I've paid the bill. All you got to do is receive it. I've paid the price. All you got to do is say yes. He didn't say you had to be perfect. He just said you had to receive. You had to repent and you had to walk forward. So he gave us a solution. That solution was Jesus. Again, Jesus was the only one qualified to pay the price. Jesus himself says this in John 14. I am the way. Nothing else works. I love Oprah Winfrey, and I'm sure she's a sweet lady. But she said on her show one time, we all find our way to heaven, and if it's you hugging a tree, then hug a tree. You hug a tree in South Georgia, all it's going to do is give you ticks. <laughs> that tree doesn't care, and that tree's not doing anything for you. Should we be responsible? Yes. Should we take care of nature? Yes. But that nature didn't save you. Jesus said, hey, I'm the only way. Being good doesn't save you. Thinking you behave, thinking you do all the right things. There are lots of people who think they've done good that are going to be shocked when they get to hell and like, what happened? The Bible says in Acts chapter 4 that there's salvation in no one else that God has given under any name by which you can be saved. So you have a problem. God gave us the solution. And this is what you're telling people. I had a problem. God gave me the solution in Jesus. The third thing and the last thing you tell them is, now I had to make a choice. This is where God waits for us. And waits and says, okay, your choice. Ball's in your court. Because salvation is easy. You simply tell people this. You hear this every week when you leave here. We say this every single week. You never leave here without hearing Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, if you confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Confess it with your mouth, believe it in your heart. It's that easy. Look what it says in verse 10. For it is with your heart that you believe and are made right. It's with your mouth that you profess. In other words, you say, God, I don't understand this, but you said Jesus came for me and I believe it. And by faith, I'm going to accept it. See, now God waits for our response. Look what the Bible says. We're going to close with this, and then we're going to baptize some people. In Revelation chapter 3, the Bible says, this is Jesus talking, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I tell you what, my, this is where my mind goes. Anybody watch Big Bang Theory? Oh, come on. Get some culture, you people. Anybody know Sheldon? Penny. Penny. He always he does everything in threes. I don't think God's, I think God's standing in the door and just, I'm here. He's not here to annoy you. In the movie, in the TV show, Sheldon's there. He's just like annoying. But God says, look, I'm standing here at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and what? 
Say this with me. If you hear my voice and open the door, make a choice. And this is what you're telling people. I had a problem, God gave me a solution, and I made a choice. If you can say those three things, remember those three things, you can share your hope, you can share your church, and you can share your Jesus. And the Bible says life changes radically when you make a choice. I'll close with this, and then we're going to pray. I'm going to ask everybody online, if you're watching online, everybody in the room, just look at me. There's somebody that's waiting to hear not my story, not my message, not the music, not the wonderful facilities and the wonderful kitchen, not the nursery and all that happens next door. They're waiting on your story. They're waiting to hear from you. There's, a, there's an MFer out there waiting on you. Going, I was, I was in your same spot. And I still step in the same mess sometimes. But I have hope. Don't you bow your head and close your eyes. And again, we're never in the service. We never move on by offering people a chance. And today it's even a big day because you can meet Jesus and get baptized all on the same day. All through the Bible, when there were people getting saved, it was followed by people getting baptized. That's why we're doing what we're doing today. God, I thank you for everybody within the sound of my voice. God, that they hear you knocking. God, they hear you speaking, and they'll open the door. We thank you for it now. And the Bible is clear, it's easy. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm not going to embarrass you and call you to the front. I'm just going to ask you, do you need hope? And if so, just shoot your hand up at me so I can pray with you. Anybody else? Then God, I thank you for all the people who just raised their hand, that they confess you as their Lord. They believe it in their hearts. They confess it with their mouth, that you are who you said you are. And they repent, Father God, and just say, I'm not perfect. But God, I'm going to try to do my best to follow you every day. And God, we thank you for that now. In Jesus' name, and everybody said.